Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 331, recorded December 14th, 2011. Mega Security News Update. Security Now is brought to you by Ford, featuring available voice-activated sync with sync services, which enable you to customize your driving experience with personalized news, traffic, and directions. Check it out in the new 2012 Ford Focus and at Ford.com slash technology. And by the Newegg Gadget Trade-In site, powered by Gazelle. Trade in your used gadgets today at Newegg.com slash trade and receive a Newegg gift card. That's Newegg.com slash trade. It's time for Security Now. Time to cover your security and privacy needs online. And who better than, what do they call you? What does Consumer Reports call you? The master security technician? Apparently mastermind security expert. The mastermind. Someone tweeted that. I knew that we had appeared in, in uh, Consumer Reports. This is, the, this is, by the way, is the Password Haystacks page, which has been just, you know, an amazing amount of, of value for the amount of time I spent. It demonstrates to me that there's not a linear relationship between how much time I spend on something and, <laughs> and no. what it ends up yielding. Bloggers have known that for years. That you'll do an offhand post that gets millions of hits, and then you'll work yep. days on a post that gets nothing. And it really is not related to how much work you put into it. But in fact, until I think, and this is a good example, general interest. And there's a lot of general interest in how to make passwords more secure. But before we say that, yeah. hello, Steve Gibson. Well, Leo, welcome back from Paris. Thank Tom and you. I had, had I, well, I wouldn't say we had fun without you, but well, you know, you we can, survived. You can have fun without me. We, so. we survived. I, I participated in Twit on Sunday. Thank that you was for doing that. I really appreciate that. Extra fun. And, yeah. uh, and in fact, I have you this week, not next week. But the cool thing is for the people who have been excited about our holiday sci-fi special edition, we will be live and recording it at our regular time on December 28th. So the 21st, I will not be here. Right. Uh, but uh, because uh, it's, I'm going to take some holiday time off next week. That'll but be your I'll, holiday time. Yeah. And, uh, and then the following week, we're going to do a special, which will be a lot of fun, uh, covering uh, this science uh, fiction. Science fiction. Our, our, one of our favorite non-security subjects, frankly. Yep. And Movies, TVs, and books. And so that's a special. That's a special on a very special Security Our now. holiday sci-fi special now, edition. Now, but you were mentioning this Consumer Reports thing. I have found it, by the way, online. Yeah. If you put in, like, Consumer Reports password haystacks, yeah. bang, it takes you right there. Yeah, and they have a picture of you. Let me see. i got to show this. And I don't know where they got that. <laughs> that, I mean, is, I know. that is a young Steve Gibbs. <laughs> yes. And those are SGI monitors that were unbelievably advanced at the time. They wow. were 1,600 by 1,200. And... And this was a Newsweek photographer who came out. So I don't know how they found that Newsweek image or where. Maybe it's images.google.com. There's a lot of me there. But 
anyway, it sort of surprised me. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember that when that was taken, but I don't know how Consumer Reports got a hold of it. So here are but, three techniques for creating strong passwords and remembering them. Use a sentence, use a passphrase, and then yours. Growing the Haystack, developed by security expert Steve Gibson, president of California-based Gibson Research, with a link. With a link. That's nice. <laughs> Thank you, Consumer Reports. Growing the Haystack. They must listen to this show. You, they have quite a, quite a good amount of detail in here. Yeah, it's a, it's a great report. Now, somebody tweeted that somewhere the word mastermind was used. So I did a quick, you know, control F for find and put in master and it's not on that page. So maybe it's in the print edition, which I, which he said was January 12th was a date in the, in my um, Twitter stream. So that, anyway, that's what sort of brought yeah, there this. May, there, this. Yeah, there may be a print edition uh, later on, but that's great. It's nice yeah. that you're getting recognized. In fact, that's the boy you've gotten recognized for that more than anything you've done in the last ten years. <laughs> I know. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's been amazing. Yeah. Well, well done, Steve Gibson. Well done, my friend. Moving on. Yes. Um, oh, actually, before we move on. Okay. This is. Let's describe this show because it's a little bit of a change here. Just what I was about to say. Oh, good. Is that my plan had been for those listeners who actually do follow along. Um, this was going to be the week when I would talk about Google's proposed new protocol to replace HTTP called SPDY, uh, short for speedy. Right. And clearly they were trying to keep with the four character <clears throat> HTTP, you know, feeling with SPDY. The problem is that, oh, and I, we, we talked about initiating TCP connections a couple of weeks ago to get ready for this discussion because it's necessary to talk about the overhead associated with, with new TCP connections where we talked about the way TCP figures out from a packet-based approach how much data it can send. So we talked about throttling then in anticipation of this. The problem is we also need to talk about HTTP, and there was just too much news this week. Well, there is so much stuff <laughs> for us to talk about, just pure security news, that we're going to, as we have a couple times, only in only a few times in the last seven and a half years, have we reverted to your original concept for this podcast, which was just some news. Mega security case, updates. Yeah, we've got updates and news and miscellaneous and a great podcast of stuff, but we're not going to be able to get to the SPDY conversation, which I had planned. That gets bumped into the second podcast year. <laughs> of 2012. Yeah, because we've got questions next week. We've got sci-fi we sci the week after, then questions again. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're so a busy fella. So that's our plan. Tons of stuff to talk about. A carrier IQ will not leave the news. And so you and I are going to enjoy, I'm sure, talking about that. Good. Uh, lots of update stuff and other stuff. So we've just got what I'm calling the Mega, Mega Security News Update Podcast 331 today. Before we get to that, if you don't mind, let me talk a little bit about Ford. How about that? Yeah, let's pay some bills. Let's pay some bills. We, I was just, you know, it's actually timely because I've spent the morning driving around in a Ford Focus, 2012 Ford Focus, that, you know, brand new car. 
Uh, I last night I was driving the Ford Fiesta, and we've got a new 2012 Mustang, which I don't know where that went. I think Lisa took that home. <laughs> it was a 2012 convertible Mustang, which we'll never oh. see again. But, <laughs> no, no, I, we've been playing with the uh, Ford Sync and the My Ford Touch and the great stuff in there. And I just, uh, it's fun because, I, you know, I've been using my 2010 Mustang and Ford Sync for two years. And I've talked about it many times and love it. And it's really neat to see the new stuff that they're putting in uh, Ford Sync. For instance, this new 2012 Ford Focus. Now, I've been seeing it uh, on their website, and you can always do this. Go to Ford.com slash technology, and they've got lots of information about their state-of-the-art engines. Not just gas engines, but hybrids, uh, also electric. Uh, but the EcoBoost gas engine is amazing, an amazing engineering achievement. Great power with great uh, fuel reliability or fuel uh, efficiency. The ca- I was showing on this car, uh, the, fo- the Focus, I was showing people the capless fuel filler. I just love that. I just like these little things like that. But really, the sync and the sync services are so amazing. Sync services are cool. You could personalize your driving experience. You tell uh, sync services, for instance, uh, what your commute is, where home is, where work is. And then you could say things like, what's, what's the traffic ahead? I did. Uh, I got in the car and said, "What's the traffic on the way to San Francisco?" And it'll tell you. But you can also say, uh, "What's the traffic on my way to work?" And it knows where you work, and it will tell you that. You can get weather, sports, news, stocks, even horoscopes, all personalized. It knows your birthday. Um, the updates are delivered to you via an available uh, in-dash display, or they'll actually, and this I really like, read it to you as you drive. You're never alone when you're in a Ford. You press the button on the steering wheel. Actually, the, the Focus has a little paddle behind the wheel. Press that paddle, and you say, uh, sync services. And then it says, what, well, what'd you like to know? <laughs> and you say, well, I'll tell you what I want to know. And it will give you all that information. You can even have the information delivered to your mobile device via an SMS uh, if you go to Ford.com slash sync, they have the, all of that information there. So if you're a Ford owner, check it out at Ford.com slash sync or syncmyride.com. And if you haven't yet had the pleasure of driving one of the new Ford vehicles and taking a look at that Ford Sync and my Ford Touch, do yourself a favor. Drive one. Drive one today at your local Ford dealer. Or visit Ford.com slash technology. they got little movies for all the things, all the little doohickeys and the, I, you know i was uh, i was backing up of course it's got the backup camera but now they ha- and, and mine has this too they have like how close you are to the car but it also shows based on how your wheels are turned there's a line showing how the path of the car is going to be that's really cool and then there's Whoa. an audio alert as you get closer so i feel like i'm in you know 2001 a space odyssey and I'm docking the focus as i park deet, 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 deet. it's really great ford.com Slash technology. Give them a try today. All right. Mega security updates. Well, we, we, yes. we, have, we have the Microsoft update, didn't we? Well, I was yeah, and, the, uh, and a gala event it is. Uh, we're a day, after the second Tuesday, <laughs> a day after the second Tuesday of December. And we do seem to be maintaining this interesting sort of seesaw pattern of not much one month a lot the following month, not much, and back and forth and back and forth and so forth. This is one of the big months. Um, they're patching at least 19 different security vulnerabilities in Windows and other Microsoft products. That is, Officer and Publisher are also represented. Um, three of these are critical. And the good news is we finally got the long-awaited 
fix for that true type font rendering problem. I had been recommending that because this didn't seem to have many side effects, I did get a couple reports of, I think, some PDF problems. Um, but I was saying, you know, use that Microsoft Quick Fix button because this was being actively exploited by the Dooku Trojan, um, taking advantage of a glitch in, unfortunately, in the kernel, giving malware access to whatever they wanted in the kernel because Microsoft had moved the graphics engine, GDI, into the kernel once upon a time for the sake of performance. And, of course, that was a huge mistake from a security standpoint, but that's the way things go. So they fixed that as well as another critical flaw in ActiveX handling and in Media Player. So three critical things are fixed, and then the rest, um, some 16 other vulnerabilities in Office and Publisher, just sort of, you know, generic, less critical, but important to do anyway. So that's our our monthly Microsoft news. Um, I had a bit of a strange event with Java. Uh, Brian Krebs who is, uh, of course, keeping an eye on bad guys a lot. Uh, and I, refer doing, to him I hope he's times. doing well. You know, he, he was the security guy at the Washington Post, uh, yep. and they, I guess they canned him. They stopped doing the column. And uh, he's been doing his own on-security, uh, you know, blog, and it's great. And I just hope, Brian, I hope you're doing well. Yep, he tweets, uh, and I do keep an eye on his uh, Twitter feed because I get news there. Mm-hmm. And um, and he does, he has, he he takes the time to to really plow into topics. Um, he seems to enjoy stalking the bad guys, stalking the stalkers, and like has apparently from what he reports, he has personas that he has created out in the, you know, really dark underworld hacker community and is able to see what they're talking about. So, uh, his his insights are unique in the industry and, yeah, makes them very valuable. Um, he referred to a new Java update, saying that it was update number 30. And we just finished talking about 29 and that it was important to do that because what 30 was ostensibly fixing was something that was being actively exploited in one of the more popular exploit kits called black hole and of course when as soon as as soon as a vulnerability goes into an exploit kit it's quickly rolled out out into the real world because you know kitties who lo- who are not able to develop these things themselves use these exploit kits much as it sounds like then they, they they sort of wrap their own payload and use the the exploits that are bundled into this kit in order to get them installed in machines. So, you know, this is unfortunately a predictable but dangerous um, consequence. So I did what I had said to our listeners when we were talking about number 29. I went to java.com, clicked on um, do I have Java installed, although I already knew, knew that I did, and because there are some things that I'm that I use Java for, uh, I mentioned GRC has a big number calculator now off of our uh, miscellaneous menu uh, that what I use for doing crypto calculations because it'll handle ridiculously large numbers of digits and so forth. But when I went there, it said, "Oh yes, you've got the latest 
number 29. And I thought, okay, well, you know, Brian is really always on the ball here. And he did say, go to the control panel applet. And there is, if you've got you know, on a Windows system, if you've got Java installed in the Windows control panel, there'll be a little Java thing. So I went there, fired that up, and it seemed to be happy. But then I manually told it, go and go look. And it said, oh, we've got number 30 for you. So that's maybe weird. they, yeah, maybe they just haven't gotten around to notifying their website. I hope they do that because people who are, you know, I mean, their automatic update system isn't functioning automatically at this point, and this is an important thing. So if anyone's got Java, and, and again, I will remind everyone, you know, don't get it if you don't have it. <laughs> because, I mean, if you don't know you need it, it's just it is an actively exploited opportunity. Um, if you have no script involved, you're probably safe because no script will block that unless you give sites permission. So if you're just bouncing around the internet cavalierly, you know, no script is your friend or not script over over on the on the Google Chrome side. Um, but you do have to go get this on purpose, at least at, at the time of this podcast recording. Hopefully, maybe somebody from Oracle is listening to this and they'll go, oops, we forgot to <laughs> increment our count from sometimes, 29 to Sometimes 30. with, um, uh, well, you know this, with updates, they don't roll them out universally all at once because they don't want to kill the servers or whatever. It was my thinking too, yeah, yes. Yeah. So um, we're expecting out of cycle patches next week we're still waiting for adobe to catch up with reader and acrobat i think it's it was the version nines as i as we talked about this i think two weeks ago probably you and me leo because there was a zero day flaw that was discovered in um in the PDF rendering that Reader and Acrobat both do, which is being actively exploited. The sandbox in the version 10 technology does contain this. That is, it prevents it from being effective. The flaw is there, but it can't get out of the sandbox. Consequently, Adobe is not rushing to get that fixed. They are rushing to get the pre-sandbox versions of Reader and Acrobat updated, which they have promised, like, I think, I remember the the 16th, which I think is like toward the end of next week, or, no, no, that would be the week of the 16th. Um, I, wait, That's, no, maybe I'm thinking of 18th. Yeah. Um, in any event, uh, it's on its way soon, but it hasn't happened yet. However, two new zero-day vulnerabilities have just been revealed in Adobe's Flash Player. <laughs> Prompting the query in our chat room, which is worse, Java or Flash? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take your pick. Yeah, um, no kidding. So uh, a Russian firm has th that does vulnerability research and sells their protection to customers is, n is taking the position of, we're not telling Adobe... Because they don't pay us. Oh. So. so oh, uh, that sucks. It, well, you know, but, they, but they're, they're selling their proprietary information to their customers. Yeah. And it would make it less valuable 
if they provided it to Adobe because then Adobe would fix it and then they wouldn't be offering exclusive protection to their customers. So that's a little, I agree, it's a little strange, you know, but that's what they're doing. Um, they bypass both of these new undisclosed but proven and demonstrated in a video that they have, zero-day vulnerabilities, um, bypass both of Windows' anti-exploit features that we've talked about, DEP, which is the Data Execution Prevention, where, where regions of memory are marked as non-executable, like, for example, the stack, which normally only contains data. You don't typically execute the stack, and so that prevents stack overflow exploits, but not in this case. And ASLR, which is the address space layout randomization, which takes the sort of the inherent modular nature of our today's operating systems where different pieces um, are contained in separate modules and address space layout randomization scrambles them all up so that so that the uh, so that different instances of the operating system are not always in predictable places and that prevents the bad guys from being able to jump to known code and get their get their work done by sort of repurposing code in the operating system if you don't know where it is you can't jump to it reliably but these vulnerabilities bypass all of that and work anyway oh and they both escape from IE's sandbox. So Whoa, the, the sandbox, yeah. So the sandboxing in IE is also ineffective. Now, Amazing. at the moment, this is Windows only, but they have promised soon to have a Mac OS ten version. Good, because we want so, parity. Because exactly. <laughs> it's only fair. Oh goodness. So nobody knows what these are. Um the the problem is that as we know, you can often reverse engineer patches in order to figure out what it was that was patched. And so the expectation is that the malware guys are going to jump on this and are probably in the process of doing so, but there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, we users can only not use Flash in order to sol- to avoid the problem. So, again, you want to be extra careful today about where you go and what links, especially what links you click in email because anything that can invoke Flash, which is malicious, if they, if bad guys have figured out what these problems are, that only this one company is selling their customers the fixes for, then that's a vector of exploitation. So... Adobe has got lots of... <laughs> you got explaining to do. Dog. Yes, exactly. They're in the doghouse. Now, speaking of doghouse, we have Carrier IQ once again in the news. Um, and I really? Was the first, I thought we were done with this. I had hoped we were done I with thought, it. While but, I was in Paris, that would be all over. <sighs> yes, but what happened was the FOIA... FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, oh, was... Oh, I saw this. This was interesting, yeah. Yes. A request was was provided to the FBI under the Freedom of Information Act last week asking about the FBI's own use 
of Carrier IQ's technology. Now, it would have been nice if they'd said, we don't use it. Instead, they said, we're not saying. Because... Uh, it's yes. They, it would reveal information about ongoing investigations. Yes, um, and in one place I saw the phrase "ongoing investigations." Elsewhere, I saw them saying officially they said that the release of such documents quote could reasonably be expected to interfere with law enforcement proceedings. Not good. No. Now, okay, there are a couple possibilities. I don't want to. I don't. First of all, this we'll be talking about this for the next few minutes. So um, there, there's a lot of inf- interesting information here. Um, there has been, as a consequence of the brouhaha over this, uh, Al Franken, a, a Minnesota congressman or senator, Senator, Senator Al Franken, um, has launched a congressional inquiry into. What's going on with this whole Carrier IQ business? What's the so, deal? Yes. So there's I mean, a chance. Probably because Al Franken used to be on Saturday Night Live. I, every time you say Al Franken wants <laughs> I know. to know, I just get this comedic sense to it. But, of course, he's a senator. This is very serious. And he's ended up really impressing people. He has. I mean, he's been very he, good on privacy issues. Yep. He's, he's, been, he's been our friend. Um, so there is a chance... That the FBI's response does not involve their use themselves of Carrier IQ, but rather that they're involved in the congressional inquiry. That is, Congress has said Ah. to the FBI, please look into this. So it's so I don't so I don't want to like send off any, you know, wolf crying false alarms here. This this might just be that that they're the agency that Congress is using, as they would, to right. inquire into what care, what's going on with Carrier IQ. So this FOIA request is being denied on the basis that th- it's the inquiry that they can't talk about rather than their own, you know, they've been rubbing their hands together, having fun with Carrier IQ behind the scenes without <laughs> us knowing about Did it. Did you see that text she said? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, So also Carrier IQ is stating that while they collect the data, they do not own the data. Oh, it is provided. It it is provided to the carriers. So any requests would need to be made to the carriers, not to them. And they do, however, maintain servers on behalf of the carriers. But contractually, they're they're. They're contracted to be the data collector, but they are not the data's owner. They're just following orders. Yeah, well, exactly. Now, here's the problem. Provisions of the U.S. Patriot Act would prevent the, the carrier IQ's disclosure and would indemnify them, carrier IQ, against non-disclosure. So... They could. This is also what they would be saying, and protected by the Patriot Act, if they if they were a source of data, and been told you can't say anything about it. So the scenario is, if I read between the lines, 
Uh, and, you know, we've always thought maybe the NSA uh, was using Echelon. That was the name used for this presumed technology. The British intelligence admitted it. MI5 admitted that they used Echelon uh, to scan electronic transmissions for keywords like bomb and so forth. Um, but I there's, wish you hadn't just said that, Liam. <laughs> there's, a, there's a gaping hole because if I say bomb now, in a podcast or on my text messaging, they can't <laughs> define now, that. Now Elaine is going to transcribe it and it's going to be on my website. Hard to and believe. Before we you know it, it'll be what happened to Gibson. Yeah. 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 By the way, I'm they not. don't have to invoke the Patriot Act. One of the features of the Patriot Act is you don't talk about the Patriot Act, you don't have to ever. <laughs> No, it's like exactly, that, and and that's my point is that they they could they could deny that they have anything going on. They're indemnified, that, is the point. They can't be sued. Exactly. Yeah, they can't exactly. Be sued. Okay. Now, on the twelfth, which was two days ago, as part of the of Carrier IQ's response to all this, they produced a nineteen-page document. Um, I tweeted the URL of that earlier today. So anybody who is interested can, if you're not following me, that's fine. Oh, and by the way, I don't know if you know, but we, I, I made a, I crossed a milestone, uh, 25,000 followers. That's great, Steve. Tom and I talked about that, I think, uh, last week. So, yeah. Yeah, and you don't have to follow Steve to see what he says. You can just go to twitter.com slash SGGRC. Exactly. And you'd see all his tweets. Uh, exactly. But, but so follow reasons, him, that way you'll get him in the Twitter stream. Well, unless you're not, you know, unless you're Jerry Pornell and, you know, you're just... <laughs> you don't care. You're not going to be a tweet, a tw- Twitter tweeting. Does he not? Person. Is he still? Because I thought maybe he'd change his. I don't tune know. What I do. I do think I remember that he was going to give it a try. Yeah. Um, He's pretty. So, um, their 19-page document is interesting. Um. So, some things that I discovered by reading it, as I have, is that they, whereas their first reaction. To, to Trevor Eckhart's discovery, and he was the person who we talked about who showed the phones capturing keystrokes and logging in an it was an HTC Android device was logging all of this scary stuff. Their first reaction, of course, was to issue him a cease and desist order threatening legal action. Kind of a mistake. Now they're thanking him. Yeah. In in the PDF. Thank you so much for discovering debugging code that was left in by oh, mistake. Oh, it's debugging code. Yeah, we never we meant to turn that switch off. Oh. And we fell asleep with the switch. Sure. So um uh I believe it, though. It's having, the kind of having, thing you would you would log in, in a debugging situation. Yes, and it you know, Trevor wasn't able to show that it was ever being sent. It's it's disturbing that a plain text log file in you know in an Android device is capturing all that. You really don't want all of that being captured in a plain text log file <laughs> sitting there in your phone. We spend so much effort, you know, using LastPass to encrypt our passwords and stuff. And it would have just saved me so much trouble just to know there's, well, there's a plain text file with all my passwords right there. I could just, I could well, just open that up and I'd see everything. Yeah, now, 
Okay, you could also take the, you could argue that, remember, that, well, the ISP gets it all anyway. That is, but do know, they in SSL? No, they don't with SSL. Yeah, see, you, you're yeah. you're you're following me exactly, Leo. That's exactly where I was going with this. Was that yes, SMS messages and and unencrypted, well, and URLs that are that are for pages we're pulling. They would be able to see those things. But exactly as you say, anytime you're tunneling, they can't see into your tunnel. So. So they then be, are only carrying opaque traffic. So if you use a VPN or if you're in, if you're inside of an SSL encryption poking around doing things, that's opaque to them unless they're grabbing things before it gets encrypted. And that is what being on the device uniquely allows them to do. Okay, but. What they're explaining in this 19-page document with lots of screenshots, and I mean, it's nicely written. I wish it didn't start out. I wish the title of the document was not PR.20111212. Spin.doc. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Uh, I know. So it's like, okay, do you have to call it public relations? Could, could we not? Uh, how about tech details? Yeah. Excuses, doc. dot doc. Oh, goodness. <laughs> anyway, so this thing, what, what, what we now know from reading this is that there's three different ways that this stuff, this carrier IQ thing can be put on your phone. It can be sort of stuck on before you get it. It can be added by the user and therefore removable after you get it, or it can be quote unquote embedded, which gives it much greater reach. That is, if it's if it's stuck, sort of stuck on. They had a, name, a term for it. I don't remember now, but like you know, the, the the first way they talk about it being added is sort of casually added by the phone's provider but not deeply embedded. And if so, it doesn't have access to much. Like it can't, it, it only has access to what a typical application would have. And you don't get things like, um, you know, RF signal strength and, you know, tower location and those sorts of things that you get if you're in the embedded mode. So looking at the embedded mode, it's got access to all the information that the, that the carrier the service provider would like to have. So the way this thing works is it's driven by profiles. The profiles determine the, uh, the and it's like, like a config file, essentially. What data is collected, how often it's collected, how long it is saved, and how often it is uploaded to the carrier. The typical use of this Okay, and this is what they're now in their PR document. They're acknowledging twin. Uh, sorry, two hundred k of data per day per device. Um, Whoa! So yeah, so you know, and uh, you know, old school people say two hundred k. Well, I'm you know, I mean that. <laughs> <laughs> we've seen what I can do in 200K. 
Um, but still, that's that's a lot of data. So, so typically every 24 hours during a time when the device is not in use, the carrier IQ accrued data is dumped up to their servers and or directly to the service provider. Profiles are also downloadable on the fly. So, um, so the, the, the nature of the data which they're collecting can be changed. Now, this document makes it very clear that never, ever, ever have SMS messages been collected. And that was one of the things that concerned people. On the other hand, SMS messages always go through the carrier. Carrier's always been able to see those. And and I know from a fact that you can subpoena those. So uh, any text messages sent in the clear is stored by the carrier and can be retrieved by the carrier upon request. Right. We've known that. So what they acknowledge they are collecting are all the phone numbers dialed, the URLs visited, and detailed location and time. So so the, if, if the FBI hasn't already discovered this honeypot of, of information, they certainly know about it now. Well, but again, all of that information would be also available to the carrier. Maybe uh, not URL. Well, yeah, URLs too. Because um, they're the ISP um, as well as the carrier. So they've got text messages. They've got phone numbers. You see the phone numbers on your bill. Well, what, what we have, is, what, what wasn't clear to me, what isn't clear to me is, is what sort of granularity of location data the carrier is storing. And it's now clear that the Carrier IQ app is providing extremely granular or yeah. can provide extremely granular information. So, so a scenario, just to walk us through... We don't know this is being done, but using the Patriot Act, the FBI could compel Carrier IQ to to download a, a an enhanced spying and tracking profile to any phones of individuals whom they wish more information on and the Patriot Act allows Carrier IQ to do that, the FBI to essentially crank up the resolution of tracking to maximum, which which gives them extremely granular location and positioning and activity information on individuals, which may well be in excess of what the, the, the carrier would normally aggregate. A, Carrier IQ makes the point defensively in this document of saying we're not we don't want SMS messages. We don't want you know, there is so much data coming and going through these phones that our job has been to to condense the information, to distill it to only what the carriers are asking us to, to capture for them. And I believe that. I mean, if I were an engineer if someone said, you know, this is how we want the system to work, you know, the first thing you want to do is minimize the bandwidth that you're consuming and storing 
on these devices. So to me, that makes sense. But it, it also really does, it, it really is the case that, that this technology um, allows our devices to be tracked. But your point also, Leo, is carriers certainly have sure. that capability themselves. Sure. You know, they, 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 they know which cell towers you're, you're at relative to where you are. And your phone also, if it's got Wi-Fi and it's, you know, logging itself into hotspots whose locations have been logged with the whole, you know, all of the uh, several different um, hotspot tracking services that we know exist, then then that's there too. So anyway, um, uh, we understand more about what this is. I do believe that that Trevor stumbled on debugging code. I mean, it makes sense that that's the case. Carrier IQ has formally stated that that's the case, and it makes sense. So, so I, so I, you know, they are a technology which we are now aware is in our phones. Um, they give a couple examples of how, for example, um, a carrier would use this technology. If you if you call them, you you you, you know you call your provider, AT and T, for example, and say, hey. Um, why is my battery draining in three hours now? It never used to do that. Well, let us check well, our logs. <laughs> yeah, no, truly. Yeah. They're able to say, on such and such a date, you installed ABCXYZ app, and it's responsible for what your battery is doing. The, the, the technology now allows them to do that. Or they're able to say, oh, yeah, uh, if, if you say, hey, you know, why do I, am I always dropping calls between exit 34 and 35 on the 97? And they'll say, oh, yeah, we are aware of that. There's a uh, an outage area there, low service availability. We're in the process of building some more towers. So make sure you don't hit one when you're driving on the freeway. So, um, so <laughs> they say that, really? <laughs> they have. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that that's what's going on. They have, they really do have um, a a technology in there. I'm convinced, primarily, it's there to help them with with uh, tech support. And as you said, Leo, correctly, they don't need this in order to provide location tracking and right, right. Um, and like you know where was so and so at such and such a time. In fact, that's technology. a that's a fairly controversial issue because. Uh, they current uh, law enforcement currently doesn't need a search warrant to ask for that information. They could do something called a pen register, and they and and in fact, all, apparently, all the carriers have portals for law enforcement where they pay a couple of dollars, and they could find out where anyone was at any given time. Wow! And because that's really what you're carrying around, by the way, is a GPS uh, device that's always broadcasting back to the carrier where you are. It's tracking. So, if it's on, it's tracking. Any, you know, you ever watch the Bourne Identity? What's the first thing Jason Bourne does when the the scared woman gets in the car with him and she's running away from the bad guys? He takes her phone and throws, throws it, it out, out the, the window. window. Well, yep. guess why? Okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I I want to mention because we'll come back to uh, uh, the topic of the DMCA a little bit later. But had the DMCA um, had this involved crypto, then what Trevor was doing would have been criminal. And well, not protected his isn't it protected his research though? Uh, like Ed Felton and people like that aren't they protected? In fact, wasn't that his response? 
I thought that, the, as I understand it, the DMCA criminalizes research. Oh. That was the problem, is that it's preventing researchers from, from talking about the crypto of commercial products because, because they have to breach the DMCA in order to do the research, which is, you know, really distressing. I mean, that's my big problem with the DMCA is it doesn't allow security researchers to plow into stuff. Uh, that's not good. Without, without becoming criminals. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I would argue that all of this, what's come to light with Carrier IQ, is really good. I want Al Franken to, you know, yeah. ask, you know, to get somebody to look into this, to verify, and to shine a bright light on this because this really should not have been kept as quiet as it was. You know, it's even if they're not doing anything wrong, even if in the fine print it says this is what we're going to be doing, people still don't know about it. And we need to know about it. I mean, benign as it is, it would just be nice to know this is what's going on. The only thing um, what protect I always feel that what protects us is that the massive amounts of data that these kinds of things would collect, uh, you know, 200K about each and every one of us each and every day renders it, you know, pretty much useless for kind of casual spying. Although, um, yes, yes. Although what I hear people say sort of in general when they're not worried about security is, well, no one cares about me. Right. It's like, okay, well, today. And, let, the, and let, we do know that technologies, uh, computer technologies allow people to go through, sift through that kind of data, looking for patterns and... Determine who they should care about. Right. So, you know, this is, it's, it's interesting because there is a tradition in our legal system that law enforcement is not allowed to go on what they call fishing expeditions, that they have to be investigating a specific crime and they can't just look at your stuff to see if you're doing something wrong. That's not allowed. Yep. And yep. that's exactly how this kind of data could be used. And of course, I can understand law enforcement saying, but it would be so useful if we could just get a database of everything everybody does online and sift it for, you know, bad behavior. Think how useful that would be. But yeah. that's not that's not allowed. That's that is specifically prohibited uh, by our Constitution. Thank goodness. <sighs> All right. Well, well, uh, there you have it. You want to go to a site called you have downloaded Dot com. Oh, you know, actually, I want to do want to do this because I want to see if anybody in my <laughs> office is being used is using BitTorrent. <laughs> you have downloaded dot com. Yes, is a new service uh, which anyone can go to, and it looks at your connection IP and cross references a database it is continually building. Of all the IPs they're aware of, which have been used for downloading torrented files, and what files have been downloaded. Apparently, people who are active torrent users go to youhavedownloaded.com and see a listing of their entire library. Amazing. Um, no one now, here is downloading anything from BitTorrent. <laughs> Thank well, goodness. That's good news, yes. But you know now, who has? Sony. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Busted! Yep. Now, one thing I noted is that they're not establishing an SSL connection. Um, they support SSL 
for their domain. And you can go to HTTPS colon slash slash you have downloaded.com. The reason that's significant, for example, is that I had to do that with Shields Up in order to, to more reliably get the user's IP. Because anybody, for example, with a Cox cable modem, if they use a, a non-SSL connection, the IP is Cox's IP, not theirs. So uh. because you go through Cox's caching proxy on the way out to the Internet, for, 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 which does a number of things that, that helps users because it's caching, so you get answers back quicker from Cox than you would out from the Internet. And it also reduces the bandwidth that Cox needs to pull from the Internet. But it means that you don't have the right IP. Now, it is possible to disambiguate that somewhat because proxies are supposed to add headers saying that they are forwarding this request for a different IP. So maybe these guys have done that, and I would hope so. Otherwise... Um, it could be the case that you'd be getting false positives and seeing other people's torrents being attributed to you, which would not be good. Well, they do anyway, say we, uh, this site is just for show, that yes. it's a demonstration and shouldn't be used as so a in their, in their opening, for incriminating evidence. In, in the, well, and it gets a little bit of a wake-up call yeah. also. Well, they, they every, said, you know, the truth is, though, and I've said this for years and I, nobody ever pays attention, but BitTorrent has never been designed to be private. When you're exchanging right. files with people, I can see your IP. I can see who's seeding by IP address. It's always been that way. Yep. So they said, this means that you are using... Oh, so when I went there, it, they said, we have no records on you. And they said, this means you are using a private torrent tracker or, of course... You may not be a torrent user at all, as it happens in my case. I'm just not a torrent guy. They, 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 and they said, it happens. Please entertain yourself. Feel free to, use, to, feel free to see what other people have downloaded. The search box is on the top. If you have any friends who use torrents, use it to scare them off. We also have a widget that you can install in your website, blog, or Facebook page. Or you can just send them a link to this site. They will see a table similar to what you see below. The only difference, they will see their downloads. So anyway, I tweeted this earlier and a lot of people responded uh, that, you know, whew, I'm clear. Also, some said, hey, but IPs are dynamic. And it's like, well, hmm. yes, they are. But, you know, they don't change all the time. Well, and Most they, this site says we record timestamps. So we know exactly which IP was using it when. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they if they were if they had to uh, comply to a subpoena turning over their records, then that could be cross referenced with ISPs that do maintain a log of who has which IP when. And, for example, um, uh, Sue, my uh, office manager, bookkeeper, um, is using a cable modem with a router which means that her ip is relative her public ip is relatively static i know when she changes it because she needs me to update that information cuz we use her ip as one of a multi-layer security measure for her access to some content on our servers so i know when i change it and 
I don't change it more than once every couple of years. That's how sticky these things are mm-hmm. unless you are unless you're deliberately disconnecting from your cable modem or your um uh, DSL for a long time. If you stay off of it for a long time, then there's a chance somebody else will get that IP allocated to them and you'll get a different one when you reconnect. And in fact, that's what happens. If Like if they shut themselves down when they're going on vacation, when, when, when Sue and her family comes back, their IP will have changed if when they turn things back on again. But in the normal case, it's not changing. Um, you know, those DHCP leases are being renewed and you te- you 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 deliberately get the same IP you had last time, um, so they're they're more static than most people think. So th- but now somebody in the chat room saying, "Oh, this is a joke. This site's a joke." It's not. It's is it a joke? No, it's no. It's real. It's uh, there's limits to what you could do with this, and yes. and the reason it- they created this is to point out that unless you're doing something to protect yourself, you are publicly sharing these files. Correct. And uh, I know for a fact that there are people who are who are public torrent users that this site knows about. So it's certainly not a joke. Yeah. I mean, they say at the bottom, don't take it seriously. That doesn't mean it's a joke. That <laughs> it, it's, uh... I think what they're trying to say is it is not the case that if we don't have you, nobody does. Right. Because you know they're 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 tracking a bunch of trackers, but they're not you know they're not trying to be the MPAA or the RIAA, um, and so so you so no one should believe that if this site does not if you are a torrent user and you have downloaded things in the past yet you come off clean here that doesn't mean there aren't records of prior activity somewhere. Right. Yeah, it, it it's a joke only in the sense that they they're not going to do anything with it. But uh, I think this is actually a, a, a good um, public service. That's exactly how I feel. It's a wake yeah. up call. Yeah, it's useful. I mean, I've known this, but uh, maybe not everybody does. Exactly. Speaking of public services, Facebook has added themselves to the elite list of of companies who pay security researchers to find bugs. And in fact, uh, Brian Krebs uh, posting calls it bugs money. Uh, um, They are, but get this, the way Facebook is paying is unique. When a researcher, the, the first time a white hat researcher finds a bug, they send them a Visa debit card cool-looking card. It's custom-made for Facebook. And on the car, on this Visa debit card, it says, white hat in large print, bug bounty program. So you receive money on this Visa debit card. And if you find more bugs with Facebook, they simply transfer more money onto your card. Um, and they have a page that I hadn't known about before, but Brian linked to it. It's facebook.com slash white hat. And that is a listing of, of all the names of researchers who have identified problems in the past with Facebook. So anyway, I, uh, I salute Facebook for doing this. This is, this is a good thing. 
I'm I'm glad that they are. I mean, th- this this makes sense. It makes sense to incentivize developers, security researchers, um, to to find problems because we know how difficult it is to have none, and certainly Facebook has had its share of of lumps in the past. Also in the news this week, Microsoft has put into beta when the offline version of Windows Defender, available for download both in 32 and 64-bit versions. Um, I would imagine you could Google it. I just tweeted the news, so anybody who wants to find it can just, I guess, as you said, Leo, look at twitter.com slash sggrc and pick up the link to it. Um, this is uh, installable on CD, DVD, or USB. And the advantage is this is, this, is, this is probably the way to deal with rootkit-style problems. That is, problems where, especially boot sector rootkits, which are, which are compromising Windows before it boots up. So by using a, a pre-boot CD, which now Microsoft is providing, it's possible to boot, boot the CD or the USB rather than the OS, never letting that boot sector, the OS boot sector, execute and allow a rootkit then to start subverting the OS before any of the OS-based anti-malware technology has a chance to come online. So, of course, it's free, and you can choose a 32- or 64-bit version depending upon what OS you're running. And, uh, and so that would, I don't know, what, wait, wait, OS or chip set? OS, almost certainly. Yeah, yeah. it says 32- or 64-bit version of Windows. Yeah, but yeah. why? Oh, that's true with all software, often. No, but remember, I know, but this is booting on the chip, not oh. the operating system. Oh, well, so, uh, for that's the installer then. They don't think ah, they, they care about I'll the installer. Bet that's exactly yeah. right, Leo. Yeah. Yep, yeah. I bet you're right. Yep. Although, why uh, not yeah, just do it all a 32-bit? I don't know. It but. would be agnostic to right. to which version of Windows you run. Right. That's my guess. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> you're better than me. You remembered. I just uh, faded away. We wanted to talk about Newegg. We did. We did. Thank you, Steve, for your perspicacity, your awareness, and your timing. Timing's everything, especially when it comes to these gadgets that we love. There's always a new one. I just got the new Galaxy Nexus phone, for instance. But that means you got to get rid of an old gadget. And that's when I go to Newegg. Dot com slash trade. Newegg, everybody knows. I don't have to tell you about Newegg. Newegg is that great place where you can go to buy everything online that you love. All those great computers. They do bare bones systems, camcorders, phones, even things like remote control helicopters and Invicta watches. If you go to Newegg.com slash trade, you can find a place to go to Trade in your used gadgets and get a new egg gift card thanks to the folks at Gazelle. So let's see. What should we do? We're, we're going to trade in. Let's trade in some electronics. You know what I have that I'm just, I want to, I have my old MacBook Air. 
Let me see here. Which this is the uh, yeah, the Core Two Duo One Point Six. That was the 2010. Mac. I want to get the new MacBook Air. Powers on, of course. Overall condition, well, you know, it's pretty good. I've been taking good care of it. I do have the AC adapter. The battery works. The display is flawless, and I have the system recovery USB key. Let's see how much that would be. I get two hundred bucks. Put that in the box, and now I'm two hundred bucks closer to my new MacBook Air. Do it again, do it again, do it again, and uh, well, there's over eighty-four thousand. Actually, one uh, on the uh, that's a new egg. There's over two hundred thousand categories, two hundred thousand unique items, twenty categories uh, at Gazelle. iPhones going from hundred twenty-two to hundred sixty-three dollars. HTC Sensation four G two hundred dollars. Droid Bionic two hundred ninety dollars. You get rid of your old Kindle, your old digital camera, and then upgrade at Newegg. Newegg.com slash trade. Now, I do love Newegg. If you haven't heard about them, you should check them out. They have over there. That's where you get 84,000 brand new, hottest products out there. All sorts of cool stuff. It's an award-winning website. And you know what I really like, and I think this is so important before I buy anything. They've got reviews uh, from users on the Newegg website. So you can always uh, see before you buy... You know what people thought of this? And some great deals, too. Look at this. Corsair, 8 gigabytes, DDR3 SD RAM, 8 gigabytes, $75. Ah! So trade in that old stuff, newegg.com slash trade, and ring in the new. I wonder if they have a, a price for a PDP-8. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. But, you know, let's check it out. <laughs> PDPs. Let's see if they have any. Maybe they have an older. No, they don't have any PDPs. No, There's a symbol stand called. They have musical instruments, but not, not the no. PDP eight. No, you'd have to. You'd have to go on eBay, I think, to get that. Oh, that's believe me. That's where I go. <laughs> uh, Newegg.com/slash/trade. We thank you for their support of security. Now, cool. moving. Thank you for remembering. I'm sorry. Uh, continue yeah, no on, problem. my friend. So. Um, Sands Institute newsletter contained a little blurb that I had not seen anywhere else, but I was glad for it. Um, and this is the news that uh, Lamar Smith, who's a Texas U.S. representative, has introduced some changes to the oh-so-controversial Stop Online Piracy Act, SOPA, Um which attempt, in this case, to temper the proposed legislation's reach, which could only be good. Um, Sands wrote that originally, SOPA allowed rights holders to have payment processors cease doing business with suspect websites without a judge's approval. Now, that was very worrisome, meaning yeah, that... No due you know, process is what that means. That's terrible. Precisely. And it cuts off your revenue flow, you know. So it's like, yeah. okay, payment processors are just going to stop accepting credit processing, you know, from your site. It's like, oh, crap. Um, now, however, before a site could be taken down, the rights holders must obtain an order from a judge. That will, Okay, well, now meaning pursuant to this revised legislation... If it happened, the rights holders must obtain an order from a judge. Wait, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I got this wrong. Origin so the original legislation was pro was proposing that with no judge's involvement, pay, um, a, a alleged um, aggrieved. It was uh, the Chanel. Was it the Chanel handbag story? 
yeah, um, that 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 somebody who believed their rights were being violated could have payment processors cease doing business. Oh, okay. And, and it says now, before a site can be taken down, the rights holders must yeah. obtain an order from a judge right. to get payment processors to sever business dealings with the suspect sites, which is of the course. way it ought to be. Yes. Now, now, what I don't understand is it says the legislation will not apply to sites that end with .com, .net, and .org. Oh, oh, you mean the Internet. Oh, no, it doesn't yeah. apply to that. It says only foreign websites will be subject oh, to SOPA's provisions. So, so that also sounds good. If I read this correctly, it, this, the other change is that .com, .net, and .org are be, being excluded from SOPA. I don't think that, well, those are the that, changes. Oh, oh, you know why? Nice. I get it. They're going after these pirate sites is what they're trying to yes. do. The .cn or, yes. you know, those French and not the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Careful there, Leo. You spent the last couple of weeks over there. I just might point out the piratebay.org. Uh, yeah, good point. I mean, anybody can be a .org.com, right? The yeah. .net. You don't, there's no yeah. like, well, you have to be, uh, you know, you have to license it. No, anybody. So I, this is stupid. If that's yeah, really what so, they want to do, that's good. That completely, uh, you know. D2, defangs, defangs SOPA. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it says showing again their complete ignorance of everything <laughs> that we hold sacred. Yeah. It says remaining untouched are provisions that allow the DOJ, the, the U.S. Department of Justice, to demand that Internet service providers block customers from visiting these sites. Oh, that's the bill, those are the ice th the ice takedowns, right? Right. The bill no longer requires ISPs to alter DNS, <laughs> but they may ch still choose to do so to comply with blocking orders. Look, the whole thing's so, just a bad idea. Just I was going to say the whole thing seems now are it's gotten you know Byzantine. Yeah. It's so Dumb. bizarrely complex. Dumb. Okay, now news on my front. I have switched, as I said I was going to at the end of the year. Yes. From VeriSign to DigiCert. Good man, I guess. My, my, I had my GRC, I had three certificates. I had GRC.com, www.grc.com, and GRC Tech, or sorry, www.grctech.com. Um, I use that as in order to deliberately create a third party for my third party cooking, cook, cooking, cook cookie system. <laughs> well, you have to cook cookies or they're raw. That's not good. Uh, uh, that third party cooking, you got to watch out. <laughs> um, so it, I could not be happier. It was a perfect, painless switch. And I'm super pleased with DigiCert. Um, the I also I have what I always wanted, Leo. Not just a change, but I am now EV. I am GRC is oh, extended extended validation. Oh, excellent! And what is very cool is that I got the EV cert for just the root domain GRC.com, and www was included. So whereas Verisign. Slash semantic actually it is now semantic, but they're still using the Verisign. I think they're still using the Verisign domain, whereas they would have charged me fifteen hundred dollars for each. I paid something like five hundred dollars for both, 
And I still have two more slots available, meaning that if I if I wanted mail.grc.com or some or two other somethings.grc.com, I can myself just using the web panel because grc.com has been verified. Um, I have up to three different subdomains, one of which is www, but I've got two others that I can allocate anytime I want to. And they allow this to be installed on multiple servers, which, for example, VeriSign doesn't. And I can even use different private and public keys. So I could have a different server generate a CSR, a certificate signing request. I submit that through the, a web form and with with zero delay, because this is being issued to the same domain, which has already been verified, they will issue me new certs for another server with separate keys. That's so I'm not great. having to reuse the same keys, which, of course, is a, is a security concern if you spread your keys around too much. Here, there, you can – and you can do it as much as you want to. Anyway, I am completely bullish, but, but. Some, something bad happened. Oh, dear. Um, we installed the certs. I installed the certs on Friday, and we took a hit in revenue. We had the Spinrite sales collapsed. Oh dear! I was the lowest revenue ever we've ever had on Sunday. What the hey? Well, and I so I was checking the server. You know, and nobody was buying Spinrite uh -oh. all of a sudden. Uh -oh. And but if we weren't rejecting sales. There just weren't any. And and then I had a thought. What if a high percentage of the people who buy Spinrite listen to this podcast? Yes. Which, and yes. they've installed Certificate Patrol in Firefox, as I have <laughs> encouraged everyone to do. Yeah. The scariest warning that Certificate, that certificate Patrol can give you is that your the vendor of your certificate has changed oh. that is the the apparent vendor has changed because that would be i mean that is that is the the hack if somebody was performing a man in the middle of attack or were or got your certificate fraudulently issued by some other certificate authority then, I mean, this thing comes up with flashing neon lights and, you know, colored red. And I thought, <laughs> oh, my goodness. You scared everybody off. I scared everybody <laughs> off with a valid change. Oh, and so, so, so finally, by, the, by the, like the end of maybe it was Monday, so I thought, you know, maybe that's what's happened. So I put on that on, on the page where people go to buy Spinrite a special new banner which celebrates our increased security. <laughs> I've got the, the Digicert EV seal up there, which you can only display because it comes from them right. if it's all true. And I explain, hey, we've got even more security than ever. And, oh, by the way, if you're getting any kind of scary notification, um, that's, that's good. because we really did. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's a good. good thing because we really did go. <laughs> We left Verisign behind okay. the dust, and happily so. And I couldn't be more happy with, with Digicert. So please forgive us for scaring you. But then something else happened a couple hours ago, Leo. Yeah. 
Dr. Mom sent me email. Uh-oh. And we know her. She's sure. you're, you're referring to her all the time. Yeah, She's an yeah. active active uh, participant with your many of your podcasts. She said, thought this is her email I'm reading, thought you could use a good laugh. Oh, I'm not laughing. Anyway, she said, the <clears throat> IT, in quotes, department of our esteemed institution, who I'm not naming, has officially declared that GRC website, quote, restricted under internet usage policy because of potential security risks or inappropriate content, unquote. She said, probably they don't want us to figure out how lame their password policy is, (laughs) nor that if you use shields up on the system, all the ports are wide open and exposed. Yeah, Just thought you'd like to know that your website is now classed with .xxx and other sketchy places on the internet, LOL. That's well, frustrating. What, what I'm thinking, Leo, is that we may have upset some carrier, uh, like some, like who knows, uh, you know, some provider right, right. Of, of border equipment that... that Dr. Mom's organization may be using, and I don't mean to mention Astaro, I don't mean Astaro, but that no, but kind you, of... Yeah, uh, or that, a Maps or Orbs site, those kinds of things. Yeah, Something may have, something somewhere may have noticed that our SSL certificate provider changed, and we're now subject to a false positive security alert, which... You know, which Dr. Mom's organization subscribes to or her networking equipment, our IT department subscribes to, which is causing them to be to blacklist us. And that may be what's happened is, unfortunately, the point of the, the, the lesson here is that because I don't know how, many, how much time have we been talking about, you know, or how much time have we spent talking about all the things that can go wrong with the whole uh uh, PKI, you know, uh, public key infrastructure and SSL and certificate authorities and breaches and all of this. So maybe what's happened is there are now organizations which are assuming that anytime any company changes its SSL provider, warning flags go up. And of course, I'm unhappy. Because we know this is a false positive. My, we're more secure than we were before, and I could not be more happy that I made the change. But, you know, I'll bet you – anyway, I wrote back to, to, to Dr. Mom um, under her real name and said, uh, whoops, maybe, you know, I'm hoping that she will pursue this with her unquote, uh, quote, unquote, IT department and find out what it is, where this came from. Because that would allow me to pursue it and oh, figure yeah. out if yeah, yeah. somebody is is giving us a false positive. Hmm. So anyway, really interesting. I'm I I I don't want in any way to put anybody off of switching to Digicert. I believe me, I'm I'm not going back because I'm already here and I'm really glad I'm here. I have control like I've never had before. I've got I'm saving a ton of money. You know, I've got EV certs and I'm not paying $3,000 a year for them. I I'm paying 200 and something because, you know, they're they're including other subdomains which are really important to me. 
I want to be able to have people use SSL both for GRC.com and www.grc.com. Why should I pay double for that? Yes. So this is just right on. Very, very cool. Yeah. And so I do recommend that for you also. Oh, and Leo, I have to say also, I, I just made a note here, the dumbest the dumbest marketing promotion I've ever seen. Well, <laughs> yeah. okay, ever is a long time. Yeah. Symantec is now offering free 30-day trial SSL certificates. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> what? Hey, hackers, get your free certificate here. How does, how does that make any sense at all? I mean, first of all, <laughs> no, no one who understands what they're doing is is going to think that a free trial certificate makes any sense. Right. What, what, you're saving a month? Right. Is that the idea? Yeah. Oh, every month of, you can get of, a new one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure they won't let that happen. And so, first of all, no one is more expensive than VeriSign. Right. So, 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 and only people who use VeriSign are going to be, you know, big guys. I mean, I've been there until now. I'm, I'm, I'm just not willing to pay that money for, for the benefit of extended validation. I want extended validation, but not at VeriSign's prices. So, but you know, so IBM and I mean, I don't know who uses VeriSign, but Someone certainly People does. People like IBM. That's, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, Symantec bought them, so they must have a good certificate-issuing revenue flow, <laughs> and Symantec probably paid a hefty price for it. But the the notion that I'm going to be swayed to, to spend money I don't have to because I can get a free 30-day trial, <laughs> I mean, it's a pain in the butt to, to go through getting funny. a certificate. You know, you got to... You got to convince your server to give you a certificate signing request. You go through all of this. People standing by the phones when they call you to make sure that you're there, and you email loops and everything, and they check your who is and your Dun and Bradstreet and give me. It's a you got it's it takes something to do this. Yeah, and so it's like, oh yeah, gee, I'm you're are you? I mean, clearly you're not going to abandon that after 30 days. So maybe they think they're going to hook you this way, but. Anybody who used VeriSign would shop around a little bit. And, uh, wow, I don't know. That just I can't imagine anybody's going to take them up on that, <laughs> except maybe to get a 30 days free. Yeah, well, maybe um, you do that before. You know you're going to sign up for a year. What is the, what is the minimum normal term, a year? Uh, three years you can get for non-EV, and that's the maximum. So uh -huh. the, normally I'm, oh, I'm jumping through these hoops only once every three years. Or... Uh, two years is the maximum for extended validation certificates, just because that they want to tighten that up. And and you I probably mean, can't get less than a year. No, I no, don't. Unless you, you have a special offer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for well, maybe you know, maybe somebody's setting up a Christmas uh, holiday shop, and they only need a month. Okay, there's a company called Start SSL dot com. Yeah, yeah, Start, I know them. Yeah, Start, yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, they they give you a free certificate right. for a year, right? So it's like if that's what you want, just go there. And they're recognized by all their their. They won't do EV though. They they not for free, but very inexpensively. They do offer EV, um, and they are a, a a they're in all the browsers. So they're also widely recognized. So, so it's like, well, why did you not go to them instead of DigiCert? Well, because 
That seems a little low end, a little low. <laughs> you can afford. I don't know. You can afford a hundred bucks. Um, how much is it? Can. How much is it? It is like that. It's not expensive. Yeah. For for Startcom, I think it's right. uh, maybe one hundred and fifty or something. That's good. It wasn't much. So, yeah. So everybody should have SSL. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe someday. Anyway, DigiCert is my company. I'm happy. It'd be nice if we can solve the mystery. Maybe uh, Dr. Mom will get back to me and say, okay, here's the story. Here's why GRC got blacklisted because something happened. We're not recovered yet. Um, so so somehow there was a side effect. And it wasn't that I went to DigiCert. I mean, I really want to make sure people don't get the wrong impression. It's that I changed. And change should not be a bad thing when, you're, when, it's, a, when it's an improvement. And this was definitely an improvement. So, we'll see. Um, okay, OAuth. I got email from someone who asked me if OAuth had a bug because he, let me think what this was. He went to a site where they, he wanted to authenticate himself with Twitter and... If this was a bad site that he went to and his profile changed and his Ooh. and they began sending out tweets on on their behalf. So he got and he said, so, well, no, he actually didn't. And he said, doesn't this mean that open authentication is broken or buggy or something? And I said, no, it means that Twitter gave the requester rights to change your profile, believe it or not, which well, boggled my mind. Well, uh, here's how I, the, I would guess the scenario went. He thought it was OAuth. It looked like OAuth. Maybe they made a page that looked, because with OAuth, you're going back to Twitter that looked just like Twitter. But instead, it was a fake site that wasn't Twitter, and he gave them his credentials, thinking he was logging into Twitter. So there is a there's a potential hole in OAuth. So I go yeah. to a site, right, and and it's pretending to be OAuth. Well, how does OAuth work? When you go to the site, it says, no, "Okay, no, we're going to no. log. You got to go to Twitter to log in, and they'll send us a token back." So what if I'm a bad guy? I'll say the same thing. I'm going to send you to Twitter now, so we can OAuth you. But instead of actually sending you to Twitter, I send you to hacker Twitter dot Twitter dot ru. Yeah. And yeah. I make a page, looks just like a Twitter OAuth login, and you give it my your login and your password. You say, okay, and it pretends it's sending a token back to the hacker. But meanwhile, he've got, they've got your credentials. There was no OAuth transaction. I, so, I suspect yes. that's what happened. You, you, you exactly laid out a beautiful hack for OAuth, which, which reminds our listeners that when you're doing this, you absolutely need to make sure that you where you are where you think you are. Not always easy because oh. sometimes this happens on mobile platforms, right? On your phone. Yeah. And you may not, the address bar on a lot of times on phone browsers because of limited screen real estate is not visible. Oh, in fact, I find myself doing that with Safari. I was somewhere I wanted, just the other day, I wanted to make sure that I was, because I was at Starbucks, and I wanted to make sure that what I was doing was going to, was in an SSL tunnel. And it was, I had to like, look all over the place and finally i found a little right. padlock right you know on on the tab and it's like oh there it is okay people are fairly okay. easy to fool to except except that not our listeners but except that this was not the scenario oh it actually occurred but i'm glad you went through that because you're absolutely right to remind our listeners this is a problem 
I was logging into Bitly the other day, and I had not been for a long time. Was that it? Oh, no. I, oh, no. I created a new – I know what it was. I created a new Twitter account that I am going to get around to telling everyone about. Uh, it's called SG Reads is a new a new stream from me. Ooh, uh, I like this. Is this twitter.com slash SG Reads? Yes. I love that. And it, because what I, for some time I've been running across things in the morning during my, in my morning time at Starbucks, I have a, I, I end up finding good stuff sometimes and just on it, whatever topic it happens to be. And I thought, you know, I ought to create a stream of those. So people don't have to get them if they don't want them. But if they're in, interested in reading things that I think they might be, that sort of generic people would be interested in, there's a way to get that. So uh, that is, by the way, you're getting very close to being a blogger because that's really what a blog, you know, a blog originally was. Om Malik, who's gone back to doing that. He every weekend he does a here's what Om is reading blog post. Ah. And I, that's exactly kind of what the original idea was for blogging. So, Steve, you're reinventing the Internet step by step. <laughs> well, so what happened was I went to Bitly and I wanted to tell it. About this new account. So it can keep uh, stats, of course, yeah. Yes. Um, so that I could use link shortening for, for like long URLs with this SG Reads account. And so it needed me to authenticate that I own that account with Twitter. Right. So Bitly used OAuth and took me to Twitter. Okay. Here are the rights. That Bitly was given. Read tweets from my timeline. Okay, everybody can do that. See who I follow and follow new people. So, Ooh, I don't okay, like that. But I know I why they like, did that. I don't like it either, and you can tell me why in a minute. Okay. Update my profile. Not good. <laughs> and post tweets. Well, they only need to post tweets. Right. As far as I can tell... The only thing Bitly needs to do is post tweets. Now, it says Bitly will not be able to access my direct messages or see my Twitter password. Well, well that's the whole reason we're doing this. <laughs> so but the so, reason I think it was allowing uh, you, it was you were giving permission to follow is, this happens all the time on a site, it says, as part of this, and would you like to follow Bitly? And you say yes. And then they can do that one thing, but they—I uh, I think that's not that for that one purpose to do that is not okay. And update my profile. That one I, I don't, don't want, get at I all. Want, yeah, I don't want Bitly changing my profile. I can't think of any reason why they would want to. So, so here's the problem we have. Okay, now these are rights that Bitly asked Twitter to grant, and it's what what would be nice, and frankly, I. I'm ashamed I don't know the OAuth protocol off the top of my head to know whether it's possible for Twitter to downgrade the rights it returns. I, I, I don't remember now the way the protocol works, but it would be nice if Twitter said, well, for, well, it would be nice if Bitly only asked for what it really needs. And I think it's, I think it's asking for more than it needs through OAuth. Clearly, this is what happened to the other guy assuming that he, he didn't fall for the first hack that, that you outlined, Leo, that what happened to that guy was, you know, the same thing here. That site asked for everything, 
Twitter said, right. we're going to give him everything, okay? And he said, yeah, okay. This is a he problem. This is a problem on Android, too. It's kind of permissions uh, fatigue because all of these places, when you – Android does this, too. It gives you a long list. This is why I like Apple's approach, the intense uh, – the way Apple's going to do this. But that gives you a long list of things that the app wants to permission to do. And, you know, nobody reads that. They go, yeah, 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 yeah. Although, they, right, the, the Apple guys are going to go through an audit – Right. those those right. rights and say wait a minute why do you need clipboard access exactly. you're not doing anything with a clipboard yeah yeah yep yeah i think apple's, so, that's apple's approach and is the sensible approach but not everybody can do that yeah so what i would say to people is when you know the, and here's the problem is as a user i have no control um oauth i mean sorry bitly is saying it wants these things twitter when i go when i bounce over to twitter's site to give permission they're being enumerated, but I have no way to say uh, no on this and no on that and no on that, at least in this particular Twitter case. And again, I don't know whether the protocol allows it or not. So I'll, I can either say yes or no. Either I have no access that way or, or I do. I mean, and Bitly isn't allowing me to authenticate otherwise. So I don't know. It's, uh, uh, we, need, we need more granularity of control, at least in this particular authentication loop finally i just i did we're near the nearing the end here uh and, and approaching an hour and a half of podcast so i was right that we would not have time to get to any other content i got a kick out of the fact that rim has updated their playbook to to thwart the jailbreaking that no. dingleberry dingleberry was doing dingleberry Ding Dingleberry for the BlackBerry, yeah. yeah. A dingleberry for the playbook. Uh, it was exploiting a flaw to allow jailbreaking, giving users root access, and allowing them, among other things, access to the Android market. Um, so, and come on, nobody's buying that piece of crap anyway. Might as well let them hack it. So you'll rim, sell more rim. Uh, rim up. <laughs> that's really true. Rim updates the playbook. To close the flaw oh. and prevent Dingleberry's <laughs> access. E. Kardashinsky Within... in our chat room says, that one guy who bought a playbook can't jailbreak it now? Come <laughs> on. Um, within hours, yeah, Dingleberry they, they the updated themselves yeah, yeah. simply using a different flaw. Yeah. And there's they're plenty. back to I'm it sure again. sure there's no lack. So, Dingleberry. Nope. Um, I just wanted, I am approaching another milestone that I saw the other day and made a note. Yes. We're approaching 90 million uses of Shields Up. Wow. When I looked, uh, when I looked uh, this morning, I think it was, we were at 89,961,921. That's so, not, that's not uh, sales. That's people. So you somehow record. Oh, I wish that was sales. <laughs> oh. You'd be oh, a billionaire. I don't have 90 million any. <laughs> You, uh, but you record somehow? Uh, come on, Steve. You record when people use Spinrite? You know me better than that. Oh. No. I have an I have an MRU list that is most recently used list of one. It's 1K long. So it's actually 4K bytes. 1K, the most recent 1,000 IPs that Shields Up has. Oh, Shields has, Up. Not Spinrite. Has, Shields Up. Not Spinrite. Yeah. Has, has acquired. Got it. And so... While people bounce around GRC, I'm not double counting them. Right. They have to go away long enough to be flushed out of that MRU list 
And then when they come back, typically a day or two later or a month or two later, whatever, I count them again. So that's a very good count. That's 90 million people, essentially, have used Shields Up. Nice. So we'll have a party when we get to 100 million. But at this point, we're 90% of the way there. Um, I already mentioned SG Reads, which is my new Twitter feed. Anybody who thinks they might be interested, the first posting there is an interesting article from a day or two ago I really thought was thought-provoking titled, How Doctors Die. Ooh. And it said that doctors don't die the way the rest of us do because they know better than to keep themselves alive past the point that it makes any sense. So, oh, that's interesting. Uh, so a lot of suicides. No, no, no. Oh. Uh, well, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. No. I shouldn't. That's a bad assumption. I'm not so a lot sorry. of suicide. But, but for example, <laughs> they, just, they just say I'm done. No, it would be. It would be. Um, you know. Yes, we could. Um, we could prolong this. We could prolong this for another week. Right. You know, by putting horrible things into your body. Right. The example that was drawn was actually one of issuing CPR and breaking all your ribs when you're, um, you know, elderly. Yeah. Because apparently CPR performed correctly does breaks, break your, breaks ribs. your ribs. But it keeps you alive. No, I have that do not resuscitate thing on on me. Jennifer and I have a deal. We're going to put a pillow on each other's faces when it comes Actually, to Leo, I have to say it's the first thing. It's the first reason I ever considered getting a tattoo. Oh, you, I, good idea. You know, Just right on the far, your forehead. Do not resuscitate. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go for my forehead. Well, what? Your butt? I mean, where do they? You got to be somewhere they're going to oh, look. Maybe on my chest. Right there. Do not. And, oh, yeah. Right where they lot, would. Yeah. It turns out it, you, it would be either DNR. Right. You would tattoo. Or apparently a lot of doctors actually wear bracelets right. that say no code. And uh, no code is what the. Like what code blue, code red. Exactly. Yeah. You know, which is to say, if if I'm dead, leave me there rather than, you know, bring me back. But is so. that is that legally binding if you just put... By the way, Dr. Mom says, and again, Dr. Mom, who is apparently now the most cited person ever in the history of TWIT, says, because <laughs> she's a physician, says, put it in your armpit. She doesn't explain. Okay, I guess you got to stay shaven then too in order. <laughs> Does to be... but here's the or you're you're in her. But here's the question: Is that does that have the force of legality? I mean, it's a, a DNR. I mean, good don't, question. Don't they going to ask your next of kin? Don't know. Yeah, I'm, anyway. I might do that. That's I think that's good. No extreme it's... measures or no code. It's not that. Not do not resuscitate. Look, if I passed out on the sidewalk, it's okay to give me the kiss of life, especially <laughs> if you're a beautiful young woman. But and what's a few broken ribs between friends? Right. But no extreme measures. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's an interesting I like article. I, I commend our listeners to it if they're interested. Um, and I, when I find things from time to time, you know, again, it won't be a high volume feed. None of mine are. But SG Reads is where I will put them. And I wanted to mention that iBook recently got updated to version 1.5 with two very welcome improvements. Yeah. Uh, you get to it with the font button on the on the uh, UI, one is full screen that removes that ridiculous book binding uh, border. Oh, thank God. I know. It's like, okay, it's a little too cutesy by half, yeah, yeah. Apple. Thank you anyway. And also there's a nighttime mode 
that inverts the screen so it's very gentle white text on a black background and is much easier on your eyes if you're reading um, in a low-light situation. It's not nearly as glary. And in fact, that back when I was reading on my Palm Pilot, I used the invert the screen feature of an old reader back in the day and really enjoyed reading that way. And I thought I would close with a, a nice mention of Spinrite, which we haven't sold any of recently. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, because we seem to Oh, be yeah, that's right. You had a slow weekend. That's right. No yabba-dabba-doos because of the SSL. Yeah. yeah, Fred Flintstone is lonely. Uh, but someone whose initials are PPS said, I've been a Spinrite customer since version 5. I've been using it occasionally, but have had no real problems with my hard drives. I was glad to have the product, but until last night, I couldn't actually say it worked as I had not encountered any drive problems. Well, of course, that's one of the benefits of using it occasionally is it'll prevent you from having drive problems, which is absolutely true. He said, I have recommended the product to others based on my satisfaction with your freeware tools, assuming that your commercial product was good too. That has now changed. For the what? past week or no no meaning that well here we go okay yeah. for the past week or two i've been noticing that when starting windows it would almost boot up but would not display the list of users to select sometimes i would see the users but would be unable to mouse over to them to enter the password it got to the point that i would sometimes have to boot three or four times to get a good boot i was thinking a windows reinstall was going to be required knowing how long that would take just to do the install, let alone to reinstall my favorite applications, I thought I'd run Spinrite just in case the problem was not corrupted files, but rather an inability to read the data. I ran Spinrite on my boot and C partitions overnight. Since then, I have had no further reboot issues at all. I can now recommend the program to others with the full knowledge that it really does work, and it saved me many hours of tedious Windows install blues. Good job, PPS. I and take it that that drive did not have DNR written on it. <laughs> <laughs> could that, oh, is that gonna, could that ever ha No, that wouldn't happen. No. Do not no. resuscitate this drive. No extreme measures. Spinrite is code blue for hard drives. Exactly. And yes. anybody who's inclined to purchase it, don't be put off by no, the fact that no. you may get a warning from Certificate that's Patrol. That's a good thing. It's a, that's, in this case, we have more security than we ever have before. <laughs> Spin.pdf. <laughs> so I've been I, I've been busy during this show, and I hope you don't mind. Every once in a while I do some things, and I we got our stack of Christmas cards, and we're sending them out, and I've been signing them. As we've been oh. talking, paying attention. It's like knitting. No, I, I appreciate yeah, that, Liam. You'll get one. But I just thought okay. it'd be kind of fun because I he, these this is this is this year's Christmas card. Happy holidays from the Twit Brick House. And uh inside we have uh all the people who are on the front. There's nineteen people on the front. And I just thought I, I, and I asked Frederick and she wow. had last year's and uh we went from let's see, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. So we added six people, uh almost a fifty percent growth. Uh, this year, which is all right because we had a forty percent growth in revenue, so that kind, yeah. of, kind of is kind of works out. And uh, and most of these people are still here, <laughs> I think. Uh, Becky Becky's move is kind of you know she's yep. emeritus, but she'll be back. 
Um, anyway, I think that was uh, kind of fun to see. This is in front of the old cottage. That's last year's card, and this year's card is in the uh, new Brickhouse Studios. Very nice. Yes, very festive. Well, you'll get one of those. Cool. So, Steve, next week, uh, Tom Merritt will be back because I'll be on vacation. Uh, then I'm coming back uh, for a very special security now on the 27th. Uh, you, it will come in your, your Christmas package, your downloads. Uh, <laughs> Steve's sci-fi episode where we don't talk security, we just talk reading. Unless something really horrible happens. You know, you know it will. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we'll do security, but the, but the, but the show's intent... Our content. This is the special holiday science fiction episode. You know, what I so, should get. We should get a. I should get a short, very very short sci-fi story we could read out loud or something. That'd be kind of fun. Twas the night before. Actually, Alpha Leo, Centauri. we're going to have so much to talk about. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're going to have so much to talk about. I don't. Good. I don't think we're going to need any more. So and I like this. Yeah, somebody saying in the chat room, uh, you should get Tom on for that. Replicant uh, says you should get Tom on. That. Of course, Tom and uh, Veronica Belmont do a sci-fi podcast called Sword and Laser. We'll see. But okay, I, 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 if it's hard sci-fi, I'm all for it. But not. No, any they do unicorns. fantasy. Yeah, they do. Yeah, unicorns. see, that's that's not science fiction. I don't know why people put those together. But yeah. unicorns. Yeah. Well, have no place. I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. No fantasy for me. I want phasers. I want teleportation. I want light speed. I want warp cores. Flying I want cars. Yeah, you betcha. Steve Gibson is at GRC.com, the Gibson Research Corporation. GRC.com is where you'll find Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, and all his other freebies, too, and there are a ton of them. And Steve, our chat room, our intrepid chat room has done a little research, and there at GRC.com is the picture... The Consumer Report, report Scott, from grc.com slash stevegibson.htm. It's oh, your my own, own picture. Yeah, I got to update that, I guess. Associated yeah. Press photo by Krista Niles, April 12th, <laughs> 2002. Yep. A little less gray. I get, oh, a lot less gray and yeah. more hair or yeah. le less hair also. My too. Little yeah. Corner of the <laughs> Web is the name of that. So, ah, well, I, good, good researchers. I think you cannot put one past our chat room. I can tell nope. you that right now. Uh, have a great done. holiday. I'll see you on uh, December 27th. We're done. Thanks, oh, that's Steve. right. I'm not going to see you next week. So in yeah. two weeks, we'll, we'll be back for the sci-fi show. Yes. Merry Christmas. Perfect. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, Steve. We'll see you next time on Security Now. Bye. Bye. Security Now.